fellow whiskey lovers. I'm Michael Roberts with the Bakersfield Whiskey Society, and I'm here with my host, Tim McNeely. Hey, Michael. How are you doing tonight? We're doing great. We're ready to get our drink on. I am absolutely ready to get my drink on. I think I'm ready for the first of the day. Hey, first of the day. And tell us, Tim, who is our guest that we've got on the phone today? Well, I am very excited with who we've got. We've got Jordan Felix from Westward Whiskey. And we're actually going to be doing an event with them on October 2nd. But the, the reason I am so excited about tonight is a lot of times we think everything in whiskey has been done. It's been tried and, and it's over and done with and the standards are set. You mean whiskey is, has, a, this has continued to change since 1827? It does continue to change. No. And more importantly, there are people out there pushing it forward and experimenting on new things. And Jordan is one of those individuals. I'll tell you, Jordan's a lot of fun. He's been in the service industry for 16 years. And what I really like about Jordan is he's only had one office job. No way. And that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> I, he's a man who likes being out there, being innovative, traveling. And, uh, and what else is pretty impressive, he's voted the best new mixologist by Food & Wine. So we have a real whiskey expert here tonight. Jordan, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hi, team. How are we both doing, Tim and Michael? We're doing great. And you know what I like about Jordan already? What? He speaks Japanese. Konnichiwa! Konnichiwa! <laughs> <laughs> so tell us for our listeners who know absolutely nothing about what it is that you do, tell us a little bit about you and the company for whom we work. Yes. So uh, my name's Jordan Felix, and I'm the distillery ambassador for Westwood American Single Malt and Westwood Whiskey based out here in Portland, Oregon. We're one of the leaders of the American single malt category. Uh, we've been around since, uh, oh, as, as terms of distilling since 2004, as in terms of malt whiskey, we've been around since 2012. And uh, recently over the last couple of years, we've grown in stature, stacking barrels and uh, really pulling from Northwest Providence. And then this year, we just got awarded a double gold at San Francisco, making us the highest rating um, American single malt in the, in the United States. Wow, congratulations. Good job. Thank you so much. You mentioned brand ambassador as a role, and there's a lot of brand ambassadors out there. But I think you have a pretty unique take on that role because... You're not just in brand ambassador. You, you also do some other stuff for the distillery. What, like, how are you actually involved in, in making some of these spirits? Yeah, so I actually, so my title of distillery ambassador is, uh, is a really, uh, it's an, a recently new title for myself. I, be, I wear a lot of hats. Uh, I manage the social media. I do a lot of the education, do educational documents. But one of the biggest parts of my job is also being one of the blenders. So oh. myself. Uh, and, and Miles Monroe, who's the lead distiller, and then also our founder, Christian Krogstad, and our director of operations, Andrew Tice. Us four people uh, get together and we mingle the whiskey uh, and get that out to the good folk, the folks out in the world. Now, that's wonderful, but you guys do more than just whiskey, do you not? We do. Uh, we uh, still make uh, Volstead Vodka. And we still uh, make a Krogstad Aquavit. We also have a Guatemalan-based rum that is aged up here in Portland, Oregon, called Casa Magdalena. It's a lovely white rum uh, that we do. Uh, but I would say that the whiskey is now pretty much our whole focus. And uh, those spirits are really more moved to 
more of a contract style, if you will. Why was the decision made to focus mostly on the whiskey and not these other products? Uh, it was made in 2017. Uh, we really moved to the whiskey as, you know, basically the new, the current facility that we're in, that we moved into in 2015, is built for grain-to-glass whiskey distillery. And, uh, you know, this was a lifelong ambition for our founder, Christian Krogstad, who started back in 2004. You can go two separate ways when you start a, a distillery. You can you can either uh, go out somewhere and buy the juice from somewhere or, and, and then bring it to your place and, and then essentially do something to it, either finish it or bottle it or cut it a certain way or maybe do an extra part of aging. And you could do it that way or you could do the other route, which is probably if you would ask Christian Krogstad's more expensive way of doing it <laughs> is uh, to essentially start out in clear spirits and eventually move into the aged spirits such as whiskey. And describe for us a little bit about the Westward whiskey. What, are, what does it taste like and what, what are the aromas from it? So uh, that's a good question. Uh, Westward American Sigma is a real celebration of particularly the Northwest, but also an American pioneer spirit. And it really is about um, essentially bringing great malted barley and using that 100% of the time, then tapping it in with our Oregon brewery heritage. We have one of the best brewery cultures in the, in the United States, if not the world. And then essentially putting it into new American oak, just like bourbon, full size, 53 gallons, slightly lower char so that we can express the elements of uh, beer and, and also barley in there as well. And mm. uh, really what Westwood ends up tasting like is a very robust, fruit forward, uh, gives away to some stone fruit, a little bit of chocolate, toffee, a little bit of uh, vanilla notes as well. But it's it's uh, sitting at a, a hefty ninety proof, um, and it it and it's just a really well-rounded spirit. Now, Michael, where where can we find this around here? Well, you know, because this sounds really tasty, and uh, we can if you if our listeners want to go ahead and get some, uh, they can get it online at totalwine.com, caskers online, and wine.com. That's uh, total wine. Caskers and wine.com. So make sure that if you want to go ahead and get some of this delicious fruit nectar of the gods, that's where you can find it. I, and then locally, where can we pick it up in the stores? We have a, a Bevmo, I believe, or no, uh, Total Wine. Total Wine. That's right. All right. Yep. So hey, talk to us a little bit about your, your founder and, and the vision he had for establishing the distillery. Yeah, absolutely. So Christian Krogstad is kind of a local legend out here and a legend really in the American Craft Spirit Association. Uh, Christian was one of the founders of the American Single Malt Commission um, back in the day of, of, of just such a long time ago in 2016. But essentially uh, back in the day in the, in the 80s and 90s, he became um, an incredible brewer and he went to brewing college. Uh, he's originally from Washington and came down to Portland and started being one of the first real master brewers for uh, McMinimins, which has spread throughout uh, Oregon and Washington. And he really saw an opportunity when he wanted to go into distilling. He really saw an opportunity to bring some of his knowledge from brewing over to uh, distilling. And he knew that he wanted to do it the right way. And, and Christian is someone of uh, a lot of integrity and uh, wanted to essentially look at a, a really great clear spirit uh, that would express the Northwest and then eventually move to his li lifelong dream of 
creating a, a, a whiskey truly of Northwest, uh, Northwest uh, provenance. And so, you know, he started the, the brand Aviation and, uh, and Aviation grew and grew and grew. Uh, and by 2015, it got to a point where, where he needed to sell and then essentially took that money and reinvested into the, into the distillery to essentially bolster up the whiskey production. And uh, we still make aviation for, uh, for Davos is the company that we sold it to, but we don't own anything uh, of the brand. We just make it here in production. And really, this journey has been close to 15 to 16 years over time. And we're finally starting to realize it over the last two years. Now, you know, you've touched on Providence quite a bit. And, and just in terms of, right, right, the local flavors and really making something that, that represents the, the Northwest. What are some of those characteristics that, that you're trying to capture? And, and how, do you, how do you get that in my glass at the end of the day? Yeah. So uh, one thing that we, we love and we take big pride on is that all of our barley is, is made here, is grown right here in the Pacific Northwest. It's oh. predominantly from Idaho, Oregon, and Washington. And we're, we're really uh, blessed to have such amazing abundance from this area. I mean, whilst we're not on the same latitude as Scotland, we definitely have some very um, interesting similar characteristics as in terms of we have these long, cool, drier uh, winters. And some very and and some like and some wet elements, but it's it's very different wet than say somewhere in the south, for example. And then we have these very short hot summers that really bring to really make the barley malt really have a very distinct flavor to it. And harvest is gen. We're actually just about to approach summer harvest up here in the Pacific Northwest. We work with an incredible malting partner called Great Western Malting. They've been around since 1934. And they make close to 90% of the brewery malts here in, in Portland, Oregon, and then wow. close to 50% are all along the West Coast as well. And um, we're really deep in the community here. All of our distillers were previous head brewers or assistant brewers throughout Portland, and they really know beer. And that's where our big philosophy for us is with this such a, an amazing abundance of grain and malt, we know this very well that beer and breweries were just a natural next step. And to, so to hire brewers as distillers or to teach them how to do uh, to distill here, we're essentially working with their strongest background. And we really do create a beer that we believe that great whiskey starts not at the still, but actually in the brewery. And we, we have a, a state-of-the-art brewery that's right here in the distillery. And we go for flavor, not yield in that area. And that's quite interesting when we talk about whiskey. Too often, that particular, that particular area of, of whiskey production is often overlooked. And I kind of think it's funny how they often term that particular fermented beer, if you will, as a wash. Because mm-hmm. they wash over the fact that you can create a lot of different amazing flavors, esters and congeners and aldehydes right there in the brewery. You mentioned Scotland uh, not being on the same latitude, but you're making a lot of comparisons to Western whiskey with, with scotch. And the question I have is, does the Western whiskey have a lot of peat in it or a lot of smoky, or does it have a different kind of more bourbony taste? Or how would you describe the, the, the Westward flavor? Yeah. So if, if there's no peat, we don't, there is a differing opinion about peat. I know we have some counterparts 
to the north of us that love peat and, you know, have a peated expression of an American single malt. And same with McCarthy's, who are the first brand to ever put American single malt on a brand of whiskey back way back in 1996. Mm -hmm. um, but for us, really, what for us is that the brewery is where we find all of our flavor. And we employ a, a wonderful uh, ale yeast that's actually sourced in, uh, originally in Chico, California at Sierra Nevada, 001 American Ale Yeast. And we really look at uh, creating a really fruit forward, very like passion fruit, lots of tropical flavors that we bring through. And that really stands out. You know, we really see what the, the decisions that we've made within the brewery showcase in a very light touch or a minimalist distilling approach, if you will, on the distillation side, and then using a lower char on the American in the, on the new American oak really helps bring through these really great fruit flavors and spice and baking spice. And we don't need so much as, as to look to peat because we don't, there really isn't peat bogs here in, in uh, Oregon. And we're really a product of this Northwest Providence. And we want to tap into what the flavors are readily available right here. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess that would even tie right into some of the experiments that you're doing now with Pinot Noir cast, right? Pinot grows pretty Absolutely. well. Up yeah. And like I talked about the abundance uh, up here in the Pacific Northwest, if you haven't been, please, 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 please come up. We, we have an amazing uh, brewery culture, but also just a little south of us, we have one of the most amazing winery cultures as well that is starting to build more and more. And in fact, last year, one enthusiast named Oregon AVA is the best AVA in the world. And so we've had a lot of tourists over the last summer come and do the wineries. And so for us here at Westwood, we're kind of smack bang in the middle of two amazing cultures of, of both breweries and also wineries that we can really pull on and collaborate with. And we, we're really quite blessed in that way. And uh, we really truly can create a unique Northwest whiskey that pulls from both. Right. And I think that's neat how, how really your philosophy and your ideas of trying to work what's local, that's going to tell you what to make. That's going to tell you the directions to go. And that's going to tell you exactly Absolutely. what you're making. You, you don't have to go outside what you've already got. And so, Jordan, talk, talk to us a little bit about how you got started in this industry and, and how was your journey and how did you end up here? Sure. Yeah. So as you've probably noticed, uh, I don't have a Portland accent, <laughs> but uh, I, it's a little bit of a twang. So I, I moved here from Australia uh, back in 2009. I'm approaching uh, 10 years here in the United States. My father's American. My mom's Australian. And uh, I basically got started into hospitality around 16. I, I was encouraged by my parents to work, you know, and essentially pay my way. In a lot of ways so i started working in a mongolian restaurant was my first job and uh they very quickly moved me to the bar uh you can serve pretty early on in in australia and um i always enjoyed uh you know back then it was just pouring wine and beers but i always enjoyed the level of service i was able to offer and then also just to learn some of the geeky facts and everything so after a time i'd managed some restaurants i'd moved more to the waiter side for a long time but it wasn't till I moved to New York in 2004 that I saw an opportunity. Someone threw me behind the stick in the bartending that I really saw the bar as, as this sort of performance piece, if you will, and then also getting to know your craft. And uh, that sort of took, uh, started that long journey, went back to Australia, managed a cocktail bar, and then moved back to the U.S., 
started out again in New York, managed a place in uh, Midtown Manhattan, and then moved to Portland and started working with uh, Jeffrey Morgenthaler at Clyde Commons, and then had the amazing opportunity to open the Multnomah Whiskey Library in, in 2013 uh, with uh, the venerable uh, Tommy Clute. And putting together that program taught me many different things. And I think right before one of the best pieces of advice that was given to me was by Tommy and also, you know, a little bit of heartbreak as well. Um, but uh, I, from that heartbreak, I, I need to get my mind off things. So I decided to take a trip to Scotland and learn from the masters there about whiskey. And, and my favorite, and I, I know I'm going to be asked about this because I know you guys love talking about favorite whiskeys, but one of my favorite whiskey uh, in the world is Beaumont. And uh, I, in 2013, got a very rare opportunity to shadow at, at the distillery and turn malts and get into the kiln and help learn. And it really solidified my love of whiskey and, and really wanting to be some part of the production process along the way and also help create something new. If we could take a step back for a moment, and your your career started off uh, serving beer and wine and, and then into spirits and bartending. And what you've recently discussed or described as the different tastes for Westwood, what tends to pair better with Westwood whiskey? Beef? Chicken? Salmon? That's a great question. I, I've seen a lot of people pair it with dried fruits, I think is a different natural combination cheeses pretty much like semi-hard cheeses. Charcuterie works incredibly well as well. I don't know I've seen many collaborations or combinations with chicken. I would say probably more of like a cured meat style, maybe a little bit of beef, steak, incredibly well with the pinot cast works really well. And then we also have another release with stout cast that works incredibly well with crackers and semi-hard cheeses and then also charcuterie as well. It sounds to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Westward is an excellent whiskey to start the evening with. Absolutely, yeah. It's a great one to sort of open up. I did think, you know, I think you could also make the argument for the, for the nightcap too, but you're right. I do tend to find Westward be a really great whiskey to open up your night and sort of because it is a very unique palette. And I, too often I get their feedback of that you don't necessarily have to love whiskey to love Westwood, you know, uh, Westwood to love Westwood. And I think Westwood is, uh, has found some really interesting new fans all across the board. People we've had, we've converted some tequila drinkers and some gin drinkers and that sort of stuff to sort of try it out. And it's mainly because, you know, as I mentioned, each part of our production process is very deliberate. You know, we build on each other like a natural wine. We don't go back. We're not messing around at the at the uh, at the stills like doing fractional blending or getting technical on that side. We each section barley, beer, and barrel is really really focused on building on each flavor. And I think by the time that you get the aged whiskey in the end, you're tasting so much of the journey that it's actually it's actually quite complex and robust. How much age are you putting on your whiskeys right now? Sure. So, you know, as I talked about, very deliberate about the process, it's around, uh, we, we fluctuate between three to five years. Right now, the general mingle is around four, four years average. And then um, we have a stout cast, Oregon stout cast finish that is coming to California, uh, I believe this month, actually, which is around about a five to six year, where we age an additional year in Oregon stout cast. 
And what is the name of that one again? It's called Westwood Oregon Stout Cost Finish. And so kind of in your journey of whiskey, when, when did whiskey first start started popping up on the, the radar for you? When, when did you get bit by the whiskey bug, so to speak? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, as I said, the Scotland trip right before I started, started uh, the library was definitely the one that solidified me. But I was drinking whiskey probably as early as, uh, 1819 you can drink as early as 1819 in Australia and I think Johnny Walker really uh, Johnny Walker Black was something that for me it sort of had everything for me uh, there was a little bit of smoke there was a little bit of fruit there was you put it on rocks you put it with a mixer back then um, you put it in a mixer it really just was everything that I wanted at that particular time and and it and it wasn't over assuming anything and uh, yeah I, I could drink a couple of those uh, a night easily still <laughs> right so so it was your trip to scotland what was it about that trip that, that just really kind of solidified your your love for whiskey i think just the love and care of scotland really took me back uh it took me back with the amount of love and care and dedication that they have in what they do and really bowmore spending time at bowmore was you just saw a family. You really did see a family. I know that's very corny when people talk about that. And there's a lot of romance in whiskey in general. And um, often a lot of it is, is marketing. But it's fascinating to see when you go to Scotland. And I, I, I believe it's true of also of Westward in a lot of ways is that uh, you band together with a community. And I think that's why, in particular, Providence is so incredibly important in my mind about whiskey, about tying your community together. You know, all of our spent grain that we use go to local farmers for their livestock feed. Um, you know, we have farmers that come here and pick it up for their, their pigs. They, they fatten their pigs and they send them off as well. We, we have a guy who makes dog biscuits out of the, the spent barley as well and comes through. And we have a really great uh, sustainability focus on there as well. So I, I think in the attachment to, to community was really fascinating for me and, and my family is very nomadic i love my family they travel and they've taught me how to travel and be independent and so uh i think i do crave family and i do crave uh, a community and uh scotland is definitely something that speaks to me in a lot of ways of exuding that especially around whiskey yeah i, I i'm right there with you and actually among most of our guests we always ask them right what's one of the things you really enjoy and it's that community theme that comes up time and time again right it's the it's the people, it's the process, yeah. it's the story, it's right, it's sharing life over a good dram. And that is is really what I think connects people and why, you know, the whiskey as a spirit is just so popular. It's because you have that history and you have so much that goes into it. So you you mentioned Bowmore a couple of times, and I want to dive in and talk about that some. So you got to go there, shadow, really learn what was going on there. What were some of the things that just kind of really blew your mind or, or some aha moments that you said, that's amazing, and, and you were able to take that and bring it back into what you do at Westward? Yeah, I think definitely for me, the floor malting is a massive respect for all the malt, malt men, mostly malt men, but I did find out there were a couple of malt women on Isla as well. Uh, back in the day before the the closing of uh, Port Ellen Distillery. And then eventually now it's going to be uh, reopened at some point. But, um, you know, feel the extra dedication 
to Bali and the, re the reverence of the grain is something that, I don't know, I, I think a lot of people think about Bali, and, and maybe they feel this the same way with corn in a lot of ways, because it's an annual grain, you don't necessarily think that you're going to get flavor from it. When it's absolutely not true, you know, different barley uh, in different parts of the world exude very different characteristics. And you can even pull tannins from uh, barley very early in the process when you're brewing. And that's something that's not discussed very much. And I think, you know, looking at that and the reverence of that grain and of malt whiskey, I mean, I've always been more of a malt whiskey man than, than say a lot of other whiskeys, uh, American whiskeys out there. I've never been a massive fan of bourbon. I do respect the craft and I do respect uh, what they do. But, you know, malt whiskey to me has always spoke to me. I mean, maybe that's my colonial roots, but uh, I would say that uh, I think the reverence for malt really was, was something that, you know, and also obviously the sustainability element for that, for sure, because they use their draft or their spent grain and give to livestock. Bowman was really great in that they used a lot of their offset of, of energy to fuel a, a swimming pool that's right down the street as well. So you had a heated swimming pool from all the heat that was generated by the distillery. So that was a really cool element. And I think, you know, even when I'm working here at Westwood, I'm always looking at different elements of how the distillery can be a little more sustainable in a lot of ways. You know, we use high-powered uh, incinerators for our plastics that run around uh, the outsides of our pallets and really focus on, on trying to be as responsible as possible. And then also we're enforced by the Portland City Council to be as, as efficient as possible. So that's definitely one thing. And I definitely would say uh, a lot of people say that the elements don't affect whiskey, I call absolute crock on that. I definitely feel that um, where you make your whiskey is incredibly important and you can create something, a, you're taking a, a sense, essentially a piece of culture and, you know, showcasing that to the world. And there's not a single time that I don't have something from Scotland or something from Isla, for example, that I'm not automatically transported back to that moment when I was there. Yep, very true. I want to take a, a step back on a couple of things that uh, you've mentioned in the, couple, in the last couple of passages, or the segments, I should say, and tie it into Westward Whiskey. I, I love your guys' slogan, which is, there's new frontiers in whiskey still. I, I think that's, that's absolutely brilliant. I Major gold stars mm -hmm. to whoever came up with that idea. And and you mentioned that uh, the Westward Oregon Stout Cask is a is a new product that you guys are releasing, you know, this week or this month. And so I really liked the, the slogan. And I'd like you to go into a little bit of detail on what does on the process or what does what is the process that Westward Whiskey goes through to develop new products? Because you mentioned a new product that you guys are coming out with and that you're still stretching the boundaries for new new spirits. And what what is the impetus for this and what's the spirit of this and how does this come about? Sure, absolutely. I think that um you talk a lot about in wine, I guess, when you when you talk about old world versus new world. And I think that's applicable to whiskey too. And there are parts and elements that what we do in particular, as I've mentioned, the focus on the brewery and really playing to our strengths as in terms of our really legendary brewing heritage up here and then being a product of the Northwest, you know, that really is a big defining element of, of who we are. And 
as in terms of coming from that brewery side, it made it it was natural that our first release after the core release uh, would be something to do with beer and to be something to do with ales, and especially because that's where we came from. We have the strongest ties with them, and Oregon Stoutcast really is a wonderful collaboration with the local breweries here. We have close to 25 breweries that are participating in a project, and we've essentially started a co-op program. So, you know, we'll do core westward, we'll age in New American Oak, and then we'll put it aside in stainless steel containers, and then send the New American Oak that previously had westward in it to uh, these breweries that are throughout Oregon, mainly Portland, but there's also wonderful breweries like Fort George in Astoria, uh, also Trapdoor in Vancouver, Washington, and a couple other different ones. They age their stouts and porters in our barrels, and then they send our barrels back after they've done with it. And so what this co-op program has started is essentially then those breweries don't need to purchase a 250 to say a $300 bourbon barrel each time they want to age their stouts and porters. And so we're saving them that central financial burden burden, but we also get a stout finished whiskey out of it. And we'll finish the whiskey in stout season, our own stout season barrels for an additional year. And that will, you know, add an incredible amount of uh, complexity with grain. We tend to look for a drier style of of whiskey, uh, drier style of stout, forgive me, uh, and then also um, an imperial style. So more of a higher ABV and robust stout. And that makes much more sense for who we are and, and also speaks to where we came from. And so that's naturally that first next step. And then the second step, you know, this is, so the second one after that is now this winery element, if you will, that Christian was a winemaker for a certain amount of time, helped start uh, a really wonderful collaborative project in Carlton, Oregon, called Carlton uh, Winemaker Studio. He was one of the starter ones there. So he has a few contacts through, through the wineries, and they're just as, as intrigued as the breweries and seeing how whiskey is that next step for, from beer and from wine, you know, wine turns into brandy, beer turns into whiskey, you know, where we can integrate and collaborate some of these barrels, and then also vice versa, what we can give back to them as well. We haven't yet figured out how to give back to the libraries, except to give them whiskey, which is always <laughs> a good thing, but, um, and also to bring journalists when we entertain them out here and take them out to wineries and, and do wine tastings, but we'll figure out another sort of, you know, we've got that co-op program that's been really great for the breweries. Now we'll figure out something, you know, that we can give back to the wineries and be it a whiskey finished wine. I don't know. I think that might be a little bit intense, but that's definitely possible. And then finally, the the next one that is available in California at the Seven Grand Bars in both uh, Los Angeles and also San Diego is a an experiment that Pedro Shanahan, who's the spirit guide, uh, started seven years ago. He wanted to incorporate a little bit of local malted rye. And uh, we did a, a 70-30 split with him. And seven years later, we got to debut it uh, there the other the other week. And uh, it's at a whopping 111 proof. But it is, it's a really another interesting element of the Pacific Northwest being that we can also tap into some other grains that are growing up here like rye, and then also like wheat and some other particular grains like triticale or millet or oat. 
You know, Tim, this sounds like this is a distillery that's going to have a whole wide variety of different products coming out in the next decade. It sure does. And I'm looking forward to trying them all. One last thing before we we wrap up here. So I'm a big car guy. I end up in Monterey every single year at Cannery Row. And that's where all the canneries used to be. And now it's full of cars. I understand that you have a distillery row up where you are. Can can you talk a little bit about that and and what Portland's doing with distillery row? Yeah, you know, the distillery row has been around for quite some time now. We just found, I believe, 2012, if I remember correctly. But, you know, we're by five the largest. We kind of the end distillery, if you will, on the on the path. They have this program called a passport where you essentially get a stamp and you get to go and see these different distilleries that are set along the way. Now, predominantly, most of the distilleries used to be on this one, oh, based in around this one street called Sandy Boulevard. And, uh, and that eventually turned into Southeast Seven. And we've, since, you know, we've grown and we had to move away. And then New Deal uh, Distillery, which was the first major craft distillery here in Portland, uh, they sort of had to move away as well as in terms of sizing. And also Portland is like every other city on the West Coast, you know, getting a lot of new people being added to it. So it's sort of spread out throughout the city at the moment, but we still get together and have these bashes. So we, we recently had a beach bash held right here in our car park where we had a close to nine distilleries where they all brought out their special particular spirits and did like a cocktail and people could come and, and try all the different wares. And then the passport program also links to the airport because we have a, a the world's first distillery tasting room past TSA and PDX airport uh, where you can do a whiskey flight. You can even do the Westwood experience where you get to have the barley, the new make, and also uh, the whiskey and, and some of the finishes out there before you board your flight. And you can you can buy bottles of whiskey and put that onto your, uh, into your carry-on and you don't have to check it, which is a really handy thing. <laughs> That's going to make my flights a lot more enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. And it's the reason why PDX has been uh, is now seven years in a row the best airport in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> well, fellow Bakersfield Whiskey Society lovers, our guest today is Jordan Felix of Westward Whiskey. If you're interested in buying Westward Whiskey or their new product, Westward Oregon Stout Cask, you can find it at Total Wine or Caskers Online or at wine.com. And uh, for those of you in Bakersfield, October 2nd, we will be hosting a deconstruction masterclass with Westward. We're going to get a chance to taste the Pacific Northwest and, uh, and, and sample through what they're doing. And I'm super excited about this one, especially after having had a chance to have a conversation with Jordan and really focus on just the, right, the, the providence of the area and how they're taking all the resources that they have and really using that to create such a unique spirit. And Jordan, if people would like to get in touch with Westward Whiskey, how can they do that? Best thing to do is, uh, one, follow us on Instagram at Westward Whiskey, and then also on Facebook at Westward Whiskey. And then we also have a website called westwoodwhiskey.com. And uh, we, we're also on Twitter, and we also are building a YouTube channel as well to sort of share some of these unique education pieces and also real big emphasis on Northwest Providence. Sounds good. Well, thank you, Jordan, for being on the Bakersfield Whiskey Society podcast. And we appreciate you being on and enlightening us and telling us all about Westward Whiskey. Continued success to you.
Thank you so much. It's an absolute privilege. 